sometimes you hear people object to the celebrating of Christmas on the basis that it has pagan-inspired roots. And this raises a few questions that we should take very seriously. Are the practices of Christmas rooted in pagan rituals? Are they still pagan to this day? I'm not talking about the content of what's being celebrated, the idea of God becoming a man, the incarnation of Jesus. That is very Christian, despite what some internet atheists and uh, YouTube movies might say. But have you ever thought about why we do some of the things that we do, like set up a tree in our living room with ornaments and give gifts, etc.? Today, I want to talk about the history and meaning of Christmas, and I hope that we'll see that there is nothing wrong with celebrating this festival, and in fact, it can be a very good thing. Now, once a month, my longtime friend, Micah Morgan, who has been on this show, and I host AWOL, a gathering of men from around Chicagoland, and we enjoy a lot of laughs and a rich, meaningful conversation about a different topic each month. Last night, we talked about Christmas, and to prime the pump, before we began, I gave the following in introduction to Christmas. Now, I want us to consider this question in the spirit of charity that is reflected in Romans 14, verses 5 through 8, which says this, One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. So let's approach this subject with charity and respectfulness, and let's go ahead and get into it. Christmas is a Christian holiday, which, in a sense, does have pagan origins, but which, upon further investigation, represents the Christian takeover and redemption of heathen celebrations, co-opting them and bringing them under the authority of Jesus Christ. Further, Christmas fulfills what the pagan holidays were longing for but could not provide, i.e., real peace, light, and hope in a dark and seemingly hopeless world. Today, we're faced with two alternatives, the chaotic cacophony of what C.S. Lewis called Xmas and its rampant commercialism, and on the other hand, the solid, true peace of real Christmas— which commemorates the coming of God in human flesh to save his people from their sins and transform the world. My name is Joel Sedecase. In 2009, I left my job in the business world to teach Bible at a Christian high school in Chicago. Impacted by my students' questions, I set out on a journey that brought me first to seminary to study apologetics and philosophy of religion, and then into pastoral ministry. As a pastor, I saw firsthand the struggle of believers confronted with questions of life that at first seemed impossible to answer and the powerful confidence that came when they saw how God's Word gives the answers and guidance they needed. I had a dream to spread that message and equip more followers of Jesus, so my family and I joined Crew and launched the Think 
Institute. Now, I'm on a mission to equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message by applying timeless biblical truths to current cultural challenges. I don't have all the answers, but I'm determined to find them. And through this show, I'm reporting back to you, the Think Squad, what I discover. Welcome to the Think Podcast. Really quickly before we start, learning how to interpret all of life through the lens of God's Word takes a lot of work, more than just one or two podcast episodes a week. If you have an interest in the intersection between the biblical worldview and biblical manhood and current events, as I do, as well as philosophy, theology, and many, many leather-bound books, consider joining our free online community, the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and on Signal. There you can join hundreds of other Christ followers who are also on the same journey, and we trade apologetic stories and strategies, we discuss philosophy and theological questions. It's like a huge bull session around a bonfire in your backyard or at your favorite cigar lounge. So check out the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and Signal. Now, I want to just give a quick plug for something that you dads may find very helpful, very useful in 2022. And that is my New Year devotionals. This is a devotional guide that I originally wrote with Abigail Huber. I knew her as Abigail Holmberg. We worked together at Park Community Church, Forest Glen. And this is my offering to you to help you start 2022 off right. It's 22 daily guides to help you lead your family spiritually, and you can access it absolutely free by going to thethink.institute slash New Year Devos. Again, that's thethink.institute slash New Year Devos. Check it out. All right, let's get into it. In 1889, church historian Philip Schaff wrote that Christmas, quote, is the celebration of the incarnation of the Son of God. It is occupied, therefore, with the event which forms the center and turning point of the history of the world. It is, of all the festivals, the one most thoroughly interwoven with the popular and family life and stands at the head of the great feasts in the Western church year. It continues to be Remember, he's writing this in 1889. It continues to be, in the entire Catholic world and in the greater part of Protestant Christendom, the grand jubilee of children, on which innumerable gifts celebrate the infinite love of God in the gift of his only begotten Son. It kindles in midwinter a holy fire of love and gratitude and preaches in the longest night the rising of the Son of life and the glory of the Lord. It denotes the advent of the true golden age, of the freedom and equality of all the redeemed before God and in God. No one can measure the joy and blessing which from year to year flow forth upon all ages of life from the contemplation of the holy child Jesus in his heavenly innocence and divine humility. End quote. So today, although we take it for granted that Christmas comes around every December, it was not originally part of the church calendar. So, where did Christmas come from? Let's talk about the challenges to getting Christmas on the church calendar and the need for a holiday like Christmas celebrating Christ's birth. In a lot of ways, 
Christmas was inevitable. So there were two challenges in getting Christmas onto the church calendar. Challenge number one is that there is no corresponding Old Testament festival. You know, a lot of the festivals, the holidays that we celebrate as Christians have parallel holidays corresponding to them in the Old Testament. For example, Easter corresponds with Passover. Pentecost corresponds with the Old Testament festival known as Shavuot. I've got two ThinkPod episodes with my father-in-law, Roy Schwartz, talking about those two festivals. But Christmas, celebrating the Advent, the first coming of the Lord Jesus, does not have an, a, an Old Testament equivalent. So that's a challenge for getting Christmas onto the the church calendar is it almost has to be created out of whole cloth. The second challenge is the unknown date of Jesus's birth. You know, the day and month and birth, uh, the day and month of the birth of Christ are nowhere stated in the gospel history and cannot be certainly determined. So says Philip Schaff in the history I was reading to you earlier. You know, dating the birth of Jesus, and indeed the birth of Jesus itself, just the idea of when and um, what year and what time of month Jesus was born, just was not a focus of the early church. They were focused primarily on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the redemption that comes along with that, rather than when Jesus was born. However, despite these two challenges, a holiday like Christmas, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, was in a lot of ways inevitable. As early as John Chrysostom, who lived between 307 and 407 AD, uh, John Chrysostom being one of the great Christian preachers of church history, he remarked that, quote, without the birth of Christ, there were also no baptism, passion, resurrection, or ascension and no outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Hence, no Feast of Epiphany, of Easter, or of Pentecost, end quote. My dates on John, John Chrysostom, Chrysostom, as I'm reading that, might be a little bit off. Some of you guys can fact check that for me. But what Chrysostom is saying, and Chrysostom being a highly esteemed preacher and pastor in the early church, is that without the birth, there would be no life, death, and resurrection. So, we celebrate the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So it makes sense that a holiday that kickstarted it all, commemorating the birth of Jesus, would eventually find its way into the church calendar. Now, at first, the holiday known as Epiphany kind of fulfilled this need. The word Epiphany means manifestation. And it's a holiday, maybe you've celebrated it, especially if you come from a uh, Orthodox or Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholic or high church background, maybe an Anglican background. Epiphany is a holiday that celebrates the revelation of Jesus Christ to the Magi, the three wise men or three kings that we sing about at Christmas time. And Epiphany is celebrated on January 6th. So this holiday kind of in a way celebrates the coming of Jesus. Specifically, it has been known it's been associated with the coming of Jesus to the Gentiles, because you see the Magi were Gentiles. But although it gets close to the birth of Jesus Christ, and oftentimes we do lump in the Magi with the birth of Jesus, really, the Magi visited Jesus when he was about two. 
So it doesn't really encapsulate that first night of Christ's birth, that coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh into the world. So where did Christmas actually begin and how did it spread? Well, Epiphany started in the East, the Eastern Roman Empire, and it spread to the West. But Christmas started in the West and moved in the opposite direction. It moved East. The first historical mention we have of Christmas is in Rome in the year 360 by a bishop a bishop named Liberius. Now, according to Philip Schaff, Liberius was consecrating a woman named Marcella as a nun, or as he called her, a bride of Christ. And he said to her, quote, Thou seest what multitudes are come to the birth festival of thy bridegroom, end quote. In other words, where Marcella was, where in Rome, where she was being consecrated as a nun, there were multitudes, huge crowds of people that were in Rome to celebrate the birth festival of Jesus. They were there to celebrate Christmas. In other words, by the year 360, Christmas was already a thing. We don't know exactly when it started, but we do know it was around in the year 360 and that it came slightly after the other festival that we just mentioned, Epiphany. So Christmas reached Antioch in modern Turkey around 380. So it was spreading east and it continued east until it reached Alexandria in Egypt by 430. And Christmas quickly became seen as one of the most, if not the most, important Christian holidays. Schaff records that December 25th, 386, John Chrysostom himself preached a Christmas sermon in Antioch and called Christmas, quote, the fundamental feast or the root from which all other Christian festivals grow forth, end quote. Now, Christmas did have pagan origins in a sense, but that's okay. So it's time for us to get down to brass tacks. It is a common trope to hear around Christmas time that Christmas has pagan origins. Is this true? In short, yes, in a very important sense, it is true. However, this is not a problem, and it does not mean that Christians should not celebrate Christmas today. First, let's talk about where the church got the pattern and practices of Christmas from. Philip Schaff says that Christmas, quote, was probably the Christian transformation or regeneration of a series of kindred heathen festivals, the Saturnalia, Sigillaria, Juvenalia, and Brumalia, which were kept in Rome in the month of December in commemoration of the golden age of universal freedom and equality and in honor of the unconquered sun, S-U-N, and which were great holidays, especially for slaves and children, end quote. So what's going on here? The church fathers in the 300s saw in those pagan festivals a deep desire for real and true things, which the pagan worldview could not satisfy. So by celebrating the unconquered sun, S-U-N, at the time of year when the days were shortened, or they had been shortened, but they the uh, days were now beginning to grow longer, the pagans were revealing their longing 
for light and hope in a world that they could clearly see was filled with darkness and hopelessness. For Christians, that light and hope is found not in the seasonal lengthening of the daylight, but in the incarnation, atoning death, resurrection, and ascension, or return to heaven, of Jesus Christ and the eternal life that he gives to all who receive him as Savior and Lord. We don't celebrate and find our hope in the unconquered Son, S-U-N, but rather in the risen and eternal unconquered Son, S-O-N, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So the church seems to have co-opted these pagan winter festivals and transformed them, we might say, redeemed them into what we now know as Christmas. This all took place at a time when, if you know your history, you know what was happening in the Roman Empire at that time. The Roman Empire itself was becoming Christianized. The people were converting to Christianity en masse. And as they were converting, so were their festivals and holidays. Philip Schaff says that the connection between Christmas and the former pagan holidays explains some of the traditions that are bound up with Christmas or that were in 1889. He says, quote, like the giving of presents to children and to the poor, the lighting of wax tapers, whatever those are, perhaps also the erection of Christmas trees and gives them a Christian import, end quote. Now, Schaff connects Christmas trees to those ancient Roman pagan festivals. I've also heard the legend, and I think it is just a, a legend, sadly, that Martin Luther started the tradition of the Christmas tree when he was walking home one night from church, presumably, and saw through the evergreen trees that he was passing, the beautiful stars sparkling through overhead. And he was so inspired by this vision, by this view, that he went home, chopped down a an evergreen tree, set it up in his house, and filled it with candles, lit candles, which to me sounds like a fire hazard, uh, but and it's probably just legendary, but Nevertheless, makes for a good story. Who knows where the Christmas tree came from? And uh, at the end, I'll tell you about the significance that I add to the Christmas tree. The fact that Christmas arose from heathen festivals also explains and even indicts the problems that come along with Christmas today, overindulgence, commercialism, etc. In a sense, the continuation of these overindulgences that we see today, think about Black Friday, everybody fighting each other. Think about the stress of making your travel plans and, and heading through the airport and, and even how much it stresses you out to find the perfect present for that cousin or niece or nephew that you barely even remember the name of. And we stress ourselves out. We stress ourselves out at Christmas. And we, we overindulge, perhaps, uh, on um, eating too much, drinking too much. In a sense, these overindulgences, these stressors, are a return to the pre-Christian pagan days of the winter festivals. And they are perversions of the true meaning of Christmas, which those festivals, the church fathers thought, unwittingly pointed forward to. So the fact is that Christmas is a shining example of God's people taking something that was created by the world, conquering it, and reestablishing it on the foundation of Christ and the teaching of the Gospels. This is what the ancient Hebrews did in the land of Canaan. They moved into the promised land, and they took it over. They lived in cities they did not build. They drew water from cisterns they did not dig. 
It's also similar to how the Christians took over the Roman Empire, not by military conquest, but rather through mass evangelism. And upon the ruins of the ancient Roman Empire, they built Western civilization, arguably the greatest civilization the world has ever seen. And I'm sure we could point to a number of similar examples throughout history of Christians doing likewise. One last note about the connection between Christmas and pagan celebrations. It is fascinating, to me anyway, to consider on the one hand the relatedness of Christmas and the pagan festivals, and on the other hand, the fact that the precursor of Christmas, sort of the original Christmas, was Epiphany, which celebrates the revelation of Jesus to the pagan Magi and the Gentile East. Christmas and Epiphany both mark the beginning and the end of the so-called 12 days of Christmas, which starts on Christmas and ends on Epiphany. And so this is a great time to remember that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, came to be, quote, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel, end quote, Luke 2, uh, 32. In other words, Christmas and Epiphany are great times to remember that Jesus came not only for ethnic Jewish people, but also for Gentiles. And so isn't it interesting that Christmas itself reflects the coming of Jesus to the Gentiles, the redemption of Gentiles. Think about all the Gentiles worshiping the Jewish God Yahweh today, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We recognize uh, Jesus being the second person of. And isn't it interesting that Christmas itself reflects the transformation of those pagan holidays? That's a great symbol of Jesus reaching the pagan Gentiles, of which I am, my ancestors were members of those pagan Gentiles. So what about the meaning of Christmas today? Well, today, there seem to be two parallel Christmas seasons, maybe we should say holiday seasons, running side by side. Those two are set in opposition to each other. So two parallel holiday seasons running side by side. The first is the season of Advent, the four Sundays before Christmas, during which the church prepares to observe Christmas, to celebrate Christmas, to commemorate the incarnation of God in the flesh. The other is what C.S. Lewis called Xmas, which in its most innocent form is a kind of throwback to Charles Dickensian eras of traditional carolers and Ebenezer Scrooge, Bob Cratchit, and that kind of nostalgia. You know, the Christmas tree in the town square and everybody gathered around. This is the the holiday of Whoville, you know, this generic wintertime festival. It's called Christmas. Uh, C.S. Lewis called it Xmas. And I know the X in Christmas is really the Greek chi, which actually stands for Christos, the Greek word that means Christ. But this is the holiday season that the the clerk at the Gap wishes you uh, uh, happiness on when they say "Happy Holidays." It's it's the Happy Holidays holiday rather than the Christmas holiday. It's Xmas, and Xmas can certainly be a time of wonder and childlike innocence and hope, as well as family togetherness. But these things are often swallowed up in the purchasing planning, and traveling associated with Xmas. The rush and cacophony of, of Xmas tend to swallow up some of these deeper transcendent meanings that ought to come along with the holiday season. 
So in a sense, Xmas or the happy holidays, the sort of parallel holiday season to Christmas or Advent, are in a lot of ways like the ancient pagan holidays. So those pagan holidays still sort of seem to continue today in the sense that they, they, uh, the, the, the Xmas season points towards these transcendent values, the values of, of God and getting to know God and God becoming, um, God dwelling with us. And they point, they point to these transcendent truths, but never quite fully get there in the same way that Saturnalia, the, the ancient Roman winter holiday pointed towards the transcendent truth that Christmas, true Christmas actually satisfied. Now, Xmas competes with Advent, the true Christian holiday, celebrating the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This is the biblical message that God the Father sent his son Jesus as a light into the dark world to save his people from their sins. Just as the angel Gabriel announced to Joseph, Jesus's adoptive father in Matthew 1.21, the second person of the Trinity, God, himself, became a man, lived a sinless life, died for the sins of his people, was buried, and was raised from the dead. And of course, Christmas points to the powerfully encouraging truth that Jesus Christ now rules over all of heaven and earth, according to Matthew 28, 18, and one day Jesus will return to set the world to right. He will punish evil, and he will usher in the glorious eternal state. That is what the hymn, Joy to the World, is all about which we sing at Christmas, and which was not originally written as a Christmas hymn, but rather a hymn celebrating the second coming of Jesus Christ. Yes, the message of Jesus, the message of Christmas, is about a lot more than the warm tinglys, the gingerbread cookies, and the adorably ridiculous Hallmark Channel romantic comedies that my wife and I guiltily indulge in this time of year, as well as Die Hard. I have to throw that out there so I don't lose a man card. The question facing Christians and non-Christians alike this year and every year is whether we will make the necessary effort to break through the cacophony and pandemonium of Xmas, of happy holidays, and set our hearts on the true meaning of Christmas, of Advent, that awesome formerly pagan but now transformed holiday, celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose life, death, and resurrection transforms both the world and every soul who believes in him. Now, before we end, one quick word about Christmas trees and lights. Why do we put up Christmas trees and lights at this time of year? Now, most of us have been doing this for years without ever actually thinking about the significance of Christmas trees and lights. But I want to posit that there is a very deep, rich theological meaning to both Christmas lights and Christmas trees. And this is important because I used to wonder, if I put up a Christmas tree, am I participating in some sort of neo-pagan ritual? Is this what the Bible talks about when they talk about Asherah poles, which God is always condemning in the Old Testament? Well, I've done some research, and I dare say that in my home, the Christmas tree and Christmas lights, if they did have some pagan origin in the past, they don't in my home. No, they have deeply Christian theological significance. And here's what that is. I'm going to share this with you very briefly. First of all, the Christmas lights point toward the truth 
of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, which says that Jesus Christ is the logos, the principle bringing order to the world. And the logos himself was with God. The word was with God. That's what logos means is word. The word was with God and the word was God. And that word was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. See, Jesus is the light of the world. And he makes his followers likewise to be the light of the world. As we reflect Jesus, like the moon reflects the sun in the world, we shine like stars in the world, according to the apostle Paul. So when we put up Christmas lights, which tend to actually look like stars kind of interestingly, we are pointing toward the fact that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, that even though the world is dark, and this is a dark time of year where the days are short, the light is in the world. And ever since Jesus came 2000 years ago, that darkness, even though it has not understood the light, it also has not been able to overcome the light. The light still shines and it shines in the hearts and lives of every Christian soul who trusts in Jesus Christ. So the lights are a powerful thing. Think of that next time you pass by a house beautifully decorated, maybe even your own. Now, what about Christmas trees? Is it an Asherah pole? No, the Christmas tree is not an Asherah pole. You're not worshiping a pagan deity, a pagan fertility God. Here's what the Christmas tree symbolizes, at least in my house. Think about an evergreen. An evergreen never dies. It never loses its leaves. It doesn't go to sleep for the winter. It stays green. So an evergreen uh, symbolizes the eternal life that we get from God when we trust in Jesus Christ. We are like a tree planted by the water, as Psalm 1 puts it, a, a, a flourishing, life-filled tree. Now, trees have very deep significance in Scripture. In fact, they're all over the Bible. In fact, you open up Genesis, chapters 1, 2, and 3. What happens in Genesis? There are uh, Adam and Eve are, are planted. They are created and um Adam is placed in a garden, which is like an orchard of trees. And there are two important trees. There's the tree of life, and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam, as we know, eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He ate the fruit, and as a result, he was cursed. Or as the medieval monks used to say, he ate the malus and got the malum. Malus is the Greek, or sorry, the Latin word for apple. Think about malic acid. That's what, what we make uh, apple cider vinegar out of. Um, the, the malice, Adam ate the malice and got the malum. He ate the apple and got the evil, which is just a little medieval monk joke signifying the fact that Adam ate the forbidden fruit and introduced woe, death, and sin to the world, to all of his children. So the tree reminds us of that forbidden fruit and how our first father sinned by eating it. In fact, still to this day, we hang red ornaments on our Christmas trees. They look like apples, don't they? That's a throwback to that medieval pun that Adam ate the mollus and got the malum. So we hang red ornaments. That should remind you of the first sin and how we still live in a broken and sinful world. And yet, think about 
uh, as as we progress in Scripture, we find out that a tree has another meaning. Jesus Christ himself was hung on a tree. The Bible says that cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree, and yet our Lord and Savior was hung on a tree, taking the curse that we deserved for our sin. Jesus Christ was hung on a tree, and we still to this day hang ornaments on Christmas trees. Those ornaments should remind us that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was hung on a tree. Fast forward to the book of Revelation, and we find the tree of life. There it is. We last saw it in Genesis, but now there it is in the New Jerusalem, which, depending on your interpretation of Revelation, is a physical place we will go to someday, or it might be the church. Either way, it represents our glorious eternal future with God. And there we have the tree of life, which we are now freely able to eat from, bearing its fruit, 12 different kinds of fruit per year, and the leaves of which are for the healing of the nations. So when you set up a Christmas tree in your house, it is signifying eternal life. It's telling of our sin. It's telling of the redemption that God brought through Jesus Christ being killed on a cross. And it's pointing forward to the eternal glory and eternal life that we have waiting for us with God and his people forever as followers of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of meaning packed into the Christmas tree. And that is exactly what you would expect from a holiday with as rich of a history and as deep of a meaning as it, as Christmas has for us today. Yes, in a certain sense, it does have pagan origins. And yet, that should not deter us, if we so choose, from celebrating this beautiful, rich, deeply Christian holiday. You're not obligated to celebrate it, but if you do, Understand that you are joining in a long line of Christians who have found peace and hope and meaning and deep significance in commemorating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh on that first Christmas long, long ago in the town of Bethlehem. Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode. The Think Podcast is a production of the Think Institute and is produced by yours truly, Joel Sedeckes. The Think Institute operates under Church Movements, a ministry of Crew, under the division of Crew City. To learn about how to support the Think Institute and my family tax-free, go to thethink.institute slash partner. I hope you heard something helpful today. I know I did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a short stop on the journey as we learn to lead our families in defending the Christian message. And we'll see you next time. Until then. I hope it made you think.